hello and welcome back to the latest installment of My Father Before Me. I am your host, Brendan Sem. Joining me as usual is my lovely co-host, Tori Sem. How are you doing today, Dad? Good, how are you? I'm also doing well. What are we going to be discussing this week? Well, today we are going to discuss a fine cinema classic that I would argue uh, maybe traumatized me as a child. Um, I can't imagine why. There's a couple sci-fi movies. One of them is Star Wars Wrath of Khan. The, uh, the thing going in the dude's ears always bugged me. Uh, I remember watching that as a child. And uh, this movie. And this movie, of course, is uh, Dune from 1984. The David Lynch Extravaganza. <laughs> oh, starring Kyle MacLachlan. That's right. Yes, it's a classic. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a huge touchstone in sci-fi, uh, sci-fi cinema. For, for me as a youth, uh, of course, I you know, the books and everything, we'll talk about those at a later time, but, uh, you know, it's just one of those epic things that you know if you're into sci-fi in those days. So. Hey guys, if you like the work that we do here and want to help us continue to bring you the news and reviews, head on over to patreon.com slash nerds. There, you can unlock access to exclusive content like uncensored episodes and much, much more. Once again, that's patreon.com slash nerds. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, this was um, <laughs> an extravaganza. Is certainly an accurate way of describing it. I, I, I think you know it was okay. I'm not gonna. Um, it was, <laughs> it was, you know, it was all right. Well, it has two things going for it that make it different than our normal uh, sci-fi things. One, it's from 1984. So obviously you've got to account for a little bit there when it comes to animation and, and yes. you know, and the, and the special effects. So we're, we're fine with that. We know the time period. We've seen a lot of 1984 movies. I mean, compare this to Ghostbusters, right? Or something along those lines. Infinitely the, worse. The animation effects, <laughs> yes, are definitely different. Uh, uh, but the other thing going forward is David Lynch, right? Yes. David Lynch is a different kind of director than you normally think of in a sci-fi movie. And, and I've heard him in some interviews and stuff, and he was pretty disappointed. He considers this his only real failure of his oh. career. So he's, he's not overly excited about this one. Now, part of that, I believe, is because there is a um, made-for-TV cut of the movie where he lost control. He didn't retain control and they went in and added this whole, and you can actually watch it on YouTube. It's a, uh, I think it's like set, it's either seven or 12 minutes. It's a whole, uh, kind of like a, a motion comic, uh, introduction to the Bene Gesserit and all that stuff. And, and I mean, it's kind of interesting actually, cause it talks about the, uh, the, the, um, uh, war against technology and why the humans don't have thinking robots anymore and stuff like that, you know, and that sort of thing. So it, it it's actually kind of interesting, but it was added on to the movie and there's a bunch of stuff added in for the TV cut that uh, David Lynch didn't like. In fact, he um, used the pseudonym. Uh, he, he made them change the director to Alan Smithy, <laughs> which if you, if you look into Alan Smithy, I believe it's S M I T H E E. On IMDb, he has got a lot of movies. And the reason for that is because that is kind of a standard pseudonym that a lot of people use when they don't want to take credit for something. Really? Yeah. In the industry, that's one of those pseudonyms that I don't know where it came from, but you can actually look it up on IMDb and there, there is quite a bit credited to Mr. Smithy um, that uh, I, I believe now you're going to look it up and yeah. we're not going to find it. But I, I know that it's some name like that that he used. Because he didn't want to be uh, held accountable for it anymore. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, obviously David Lynch. Uh, I know him from uh, the Twin Peaks TV show and the movie that they made to wrap up the show. And then, of course, the recent uh, um, reboot, or not reboot, sequel, requel, whatever you want to call it, of Twin Peaks. Which someday we're going to go into that one. Um, now, interestingly, and this is kind of a David Lynch thing, too, um, he's in the movie. Mm. He is uh, the guy in the crawler. Uh, yeah, the spice guy. Like, that's right. <laughs> he looks pretty familiar. <laughs> right, right. That, that's David Lynch. And then he was also uh, credited as the writer for this, along with uh, Frank Herbert. Oh, so, okay. Because he did a lot of the, uh, the, the writing in order to adapt it, the adaptation and stuff. Uh, so if you don't like the adaptation pieces, 
you can blame him. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I will say when I was watching it, I was very acutely aware of the fact that it was a David Lynch film. <laughs> it's definitely something you notice right off the bat. Yeah. So the interestingly, he took he took this uh, over. Um, Return of the Jedi. He was offered Return of the Jedi. Oh, Can you imagine what we'd see <laughs> for a Star Wars? <laughs> That's right. The Star Wars, the Ewoks would have been a whole different ball of wax. They would have actually been cannibals on the screen, I think. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, The um, I think the first scene where I was really like, oh, yeah, David Lynch directed this was... Um, with the gom jabar and the box when he when you could see like the hit the skin off his hand melting yeah i was yep. like oh that's right oh yeah it's this guy yeah <laughs> it's definitely yeah i mean it, it, you can feel it throughout the movie you know even some of the visuals like there's the one scene where um uh fade comes out of the steam bath sting comes out of the steam bath and he's just wearing the little <laughs> mankini thing yeah. originally he was going to be nude but the uh you know the uh, the studio didn't think that was appropriate, so they oh. threw, they threw on the little winged mankini thing just to cover up the important parts. But <laughs> yeah, that was that was a pretty weird thing. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it is. Uh, I mean, obviously, with David Lynch, you're getting a visual piece, right? He pays a lot of attention to things you even see in the background and how you see those things, and you know the set design and the um, the views of it, the the way things look, and. When we talk about the recent movie, the recent Dune movie, you know, some of that imagery gets pulled forward, right? So, I mean, obviously, he set the tone a little bit for what this, uh, this universe, this 10,000 years in the future looks like. Um, so, well, I guess it'd be 8,000. Math is hard. Um, but he definitely, uh, you know, he uses that. He sets up that scene. In fact, there was a, a thing, and I didn't, I didn't keep track of it, but the um, Spice Guild when they come in and you know they got the thing over their face and they're talking and yeah yeah not to talk about the monster but the outfits that they're wearing are actually body bags that they found in a firehouse oh cool previously used now they didn't tell the actors this oh, but, no. but they actually made those out of body bags is what i've heard so I, I thought that you know that's a david lynch thing of course you know <laughs> that that kind of design so Oh, no, I didn't know. They were used? That's horrible. Oh my <laughs> Well, I'm God. sure they cleaned them. I'm sure they're fine. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely no dark Juju McGumbo still attached to those things. Um, so, speaking of the Spice Guild, what was, what was that big good old slug thing? Was that... Okay, so... Was that in the book and I missed it? Or was that just like a creative decision that he made? Well, he like, I, I believe that the... Uh, the look and feel of that was his creative decision. Okay. But now I will say in the books, and they, I think they even mention it in the movie as one of the many voiceover things, you know, that the, um, the, over the past thousands of years, the um, Navigation Guild has used the spice and mutated themselves in order to um, do the whole thing where they fold space and time, right. right, in order to travel across the faster light speed and stuff like that. So, I mean, they do mention it in the books that they get mutated. I don't think they describe it as much as we see there with the little baby head thing or, or the giant slug. Th I, you know, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, his mouth looks inappropriate is all I can say. Um, but um, so that mutation is defined. You know, it, it's stated that they mutated themselves over thousands of years and that sort of thing. So I guess that's his interpretation of it, I believe. I don't think they specifically describe it you know frank herbert goes into some serious issues when it comes to what can happen over thousands of years um if you read the books and get into god emperor dune um well i won't spoil it there's a lot of mutation there due to spice and that sort of thing so is that like the fourth book is that or is that is that like the i can't remember it's fourth or fifth it's not the first three i know that <laughs> but i can't remember when we go into because there's the god emperor of dune which is Spoiler alert is Paul's son. Oh. Um, maybe that was too much of a spoiler. I just ruined a whole lot I of stuff there. I would have assumed Paul. Yeah, yeah. But, um, Wait, Paul's son? Oh, yeah. Trust me. Okay. This, you know, we start, I mean, the third book is called Children of Dune, right? So, I mean, we're, we're definitely um, uh, spanning multiple generations in, these, in this series of books. Yeah. Just like, the, like I say, the, this movie, the books are set in the year 10,000 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Herbert doesn't have any qualms about continuing many thousands of years. So. Oh. Nope, never mind. No more talking. <laughs> okay. 
Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay, sorry, There's I'll a look. lot there. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there, and it gets awful interesting. I but, almost yeah. bought the second book when I was at Barnes and Noble the other day. I, you know, I, like, I have to say, I, like I like I've told you before, the first two, maybe three books are you know a pretty good trilogy. After that, um, it gets tougher. It gets to be a tough read. It's interesting uh, how Frank gets into things and what happens with everything. Um, so it, it can, it gets a little long. I mean, this isn't, uh, this is the movie talk, not the book talk, but I will say, you know, I think at least the first two, maybe three are worth the read. Um, you know, and like I said, speaking of the current movie, I have heard that, uh, Denis Villeneuve has plans for, um, moving on to Dune Messiah after this. I don't know if he plans on going to the third book too, or if his goal is just the first two, I don't know. I could see where there could be some some closure in a two-parter. I mean, it's not necessarily, uh, it's not a trilogy in the way um, uh, Lucas describes it, where the first one you introduce, the second one you put everybody in the peril and have a cliffhanger, and the third one, you, you the third act, you finish it. The trilogy of books, the first three Herbert books, aren't that way. I, I think that uh, each one is kind of a, a self-contained story, you know, and that sort of thing. So, But I would, I, I would definitely encourage at least Dune Messiah, um, and then Children of Dune, for sure. And then you can feel out how you feel about it after that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm definitely, I'm for sure gonna, I'm, I'm gonna finish the series because you know, I would be irritated if I. Well, didn't. that's you. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't, you couldn't do without that. Now, I won't. I will not say. I will not claim to have read any of the. Uh, what's his son's name? Or is it Frank Herbert Jr. or Don Brian? Brian Herbert. Yeah. I mean, there, I feel like there's multiple Herberts running around, but I haven't read any of the expanded, expanded stuff after Frank. Yeah. I saw that he has like prequels with like histories of like all of the houses of the lands rat or something. Right. And I know that I was just looking on a, um, a Facebook group and they were mentioning, uh, some of the things that were in, um, like the second or third book that were mentioned a little bit more, uh, get lost in the books, just things they mention and that never happened. But there's a book called, uh, it's either Paul of Dune or something like that, that, that is a recent one that actually delves into, um, fade a little bit more that ancestry oh, okay. and that kind of thing. So, so there's a little bit to that. I mean, I, I will definitely say, you know, um, I feel like the future books go into a lot more what's hinted around in the main book, in the first book. Um, just as far as the, you know, the Bene Gesserit doing their thing with the, uh, the years of, uh, uh, selective breeding, you know, and that sort of thing. I, I don't know. It, like I say, it's definitely interesting. It's interesting how, and again, this isn't the book talk and I'm sure I'll talk, say this again when we do the book talk, but I think one of the most interesting parts of that is how everything in this universe has uh, been planned over thousands of years. It's just interesting to me how you can, what happens when you have a plan that goes that long, right? Bene Gesserit, the um, Sardaukar, you know, um, and then of course what happens after Dune, all kinds of stuff. You know, it's just interesting of the scope, I think, of these stories and stuff. And even in this movie, they kind of touched on, you know, where they're at and, the idea of, um, you know, they touched on it a little bit where the houses are uh, a little nervous about the Duke, uh, Duke Leto. Mm -hmm. So that's why they send him to Arrakis just to set this whole thing up, right? So, I mean, plans within plans. If you're into that political intrigue, you get a ton of that in the books moving forward. And like I said, the political intrigue spans over thousands of years, which I think is interesting. So. Mm, okay. Yeah, I uh that's a, a that's something that interests me. I mean, that's we've discussed that in relation to like, you know, the this things the, the parts that I really liked in Andor, mm -hmm. um, Game, of know, Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. Uh what I'm looking forward to with this Wonder Woman TV series from the DC. Mm. Um so yeah, that's something that's really interesting. Despite David Lynch's best efforts, I am still interested in the universe. Well, I do have to say and you know, like I said, we always talk about the uh um, the cast here. And of course you mentioned Kyle McLaughlin. I mean, I did notice in the notes that, uh, Kyle McLaughlin was, he wasn't the first choice. I think Val Kilmer might've been the first choice is what oh. I heard. Um, but he, he's a fan of the books and he spoke to David Lynch first before taking it on, making sure that it was going to be as good an adaptation as possible. Now, like I said, you can definitely see that this is a, um, a Hollywoodized adaptation, right? We skip to the end, and for some reason, all of a sudden, Paul's a magician who can make it rain. Yeah, that was pretty weird. And the initial, I think in the initial cut, which I hear was three hours, 
that ending wasn't there. It was a lot more about uh, Paul, um, as they were talking about in the books, you know, Paul uh, taking the princess and, and taking over and that kind of thing and, and that kind of stuff instead of this big uh, Messiah ending at the end, you mm-hmm. know, where it's all of a sudden he's magic and makes it rain, you know, and stuff. But, and again, that's another topic that over, um, you know, a few generations is pretty slick how they, you know, Kynes was kind of talking about it in the book more than the, the movie. Obviously, like I say, they don't broach this at all, the movie. So we're in, in David Lynch's movie because they're trying to make a quick Hollywood movie. Right. right? Um, they're trying to pick out just the parts they need in order to make a, a sci-fi epic. And, and that's where they were going with it. And I suppose in a way for an 84 movie, they might've done that, but again, it didn't quite adapt the books very well. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I mean, this is something that we've, you and I have talked about, you know, off air is that like, I don't, I don't see how you could read the book and think, yeah, this, this will work in one movie. <laughs> it's definitely, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, even no, two two movies seems pretty good, but even like, I think the only real way to do it just to do the story justice would be to do a Game of Thrones style TV show, which obviously takes a lot of time and a lot of money and people probably don't want to put that much effort in. But I think, you know, if you really wanted to do the story justice, mm-hmm. that's the only way you could truly do it. Well, and I think you can. And, you know, we talked about that. Um, and I remember watching it, but Sci-Fi Channel had a Dune miniseries that I think had uh, William Hurt in it. Um, that was a, uh, I think it was 2000 or something like that. And like I say, I remember watching it. Um, I tried to look it up because I wanted to watch it again and I can't find it streaming anywhere. Um, but it's actually a small mini series, right? Which like you say, I feel like that kind of book kind of goes and they even go on and do, uh, children of Dune. And it really? actually has, um, professor X. Uh, um, not Patrick Stewart, oh. the other Professor X. Oh, James McAvoy. James McAvoy in it. Really? Yep, yeah, he's in, he's in the uh, the Children of Dune Sci-Fi Channel show. Um, so yeah, I'd love to find those somewhere and watch them again, and maybe hopefully we can. You know, I know we got we want to do a lot of Dune discussions over the next uh, few months, but uh, I, I I'd love to be able to find those somewhere. So if any of your listeners happen to have a pirated version or something. <laughs> That, I did, that I, we don't we wouldn't break the law by watching because you broke the law by getting it then then we'll watch it <laughs> i did find it you're right it's william hurt in the year 2000 as well but i've also found <laughs> while i was looking another movie which i think we have to watch it's called, it's called planet dune i'm just gonna show oh you is it a is it a <laughs> yeah one of those one of those uh uh what are they uh man <laughs> I, I, yeah, I can't remember what that that's called, but they did like the um, that same company did the it was like a Transmorphers kind of, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, where they where they try to make a movie. Yeah, Asylum Studios. Asylum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's for free on on Prime Video. So. <laughs> this looks like it has two point four. Oh, it's stars. for free on Prime Video. Yeah. Oh, that's definitely going to be part of our Dune retrospective. I think. <laughs> Oh man, this looks insane. Um, <laughs> there was one other thing I was going to say about, you know, the actual real movie, but now I've forgotten what it was. Um, That's all right. You know, you got to say though, David Lynch does great uh, visuals, but the sound, uh, the music, the soundtrack is awesome. We're from Toto, <laughs> you <did>. know. <laughs> I was like, this is kind of weird, but yeah, it, it makes sense. It works. Why is it that all 80s movies have to have like <laughs> synth synthesizers? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Guitars and synthesizer. I mean, don't you wait when I finally find Flash Gordon somewhere and we got uh, the Queen soundtrack. You're going to love that. So oh, perfect. <laughs> oh man. Um I will say, you know, all of the changes from the books well, not all of them, but a lot of the changes. I felt if I didn't necessarily enjoy them, they at least all made sense. You know, they all seem pretty reasonable. Right. Um, From an adaptation standpoint, if you're thinking of take, if your if your goal is to take that book and put it into two hours, yeah, you're right. They picked out the parts that seem to work for a a sci-fi story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wish they had um, spent longer than 10 seconds introducing Paul's sister. 
<laughs> the, li- the little crazy baby? Yeah, because we see her uh, in, in utero <laughs> yeah. a couple times. Um, but then she's born, and then she just shows up with Harkonnen. And she's right. like, yeah, my brother's going to get you. And uh-huh. we're like, that's it? Like, yeah, the creepy little baby. Yeah, her. and then that's the thing. They didn't go into that. They They really skipped through that part. I mean, they had him doing the... What is the water of life yeah. thing or whatever? But then all of a sudden it's like, okay, and now we're, I've drank the water, so now we're going to blow them up, right? Yeah. Whereas, of course, in the books, they can do a whole lot more with that, right? They can talk about all that. I mean, I love in the books all the prescient stuff, yes. you know, and that kind of thinking, and that goes nuts in the future books, which is, is still pretty cool. Um, but, uh, you know, they don't really touch on that a whole lot. You know, they make it like, uh, you know, I can use this sound thing to shoot better yeah. than anyone because I got the way or whatever, you know, and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. So. Like that's okay. So that's another thing. The, the, I remember them in the book talking a lot about teach Stilgar having Jessica teach them the weirding way. Yeah. But were those, did I miss that? I, I don't, I never really got what that was. I don't think that it's specifically said that it's a sound weapon. I mean, they do talk in the book, and in here, they even make a mention of it, um, you know, that uh, it is specifically that Duke Leto's got this special shock troop kind of thing or this, this special army that he's training in specific ways, mm-hmm. right? And they're, they're starting to make the Emperor nervous because the Emperor has his Sardaukar, which they talk about again. Again, talk about more in the book. But they are um, an elite force that's trained on, their, on his pr- prison planet and, and that sort of thing that's supposed to be the elite people, right? And the the whole point of it is that everybody's ignoring the Fremen. Um, and then it turns out, you know, Leto is going in there and he's like, no, we're going to have desert power, right? And and um, the reason for that is because the, um, the Fremen are actually a team that rivals the Sardaukar. I mean, it talks about, you know, and in the books they focus on it more, but they're able to take out this elite force a lot easier. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, in, yeah, and even in the, in the books, they talk about just how much more powerful they are in the, so far as the, the, the Fremen losses to Sardaukar losses are like 10 to 1 or something. Right. Like, it's like, like a, I mean, they're, they're an elite guerrilla force, and they don't even talk about their, um, you know, their numbers and stuff because, like I said, the Harkonnens, who were there for years, just underestimated their numbers and just wrote them off as some, you know, just basic people, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I know that some, there's some of the conversation about how that's a, uh, you know, a, a parallel and stuff with like Afghanistan and the Afghani people and that sort of thing. Um, I'm not up on all that political stuff and, and that sort of thing, but the fact that, uh, yeah, they, they write off these people and they are able to, um, you know, take over and be this elite fighting force for Paul again in the books. It talks more and, and they kind of mention it in the movie a little bit where Paul's a little worried about the upcoming jihad and stuff because he's got this now elite fighting force that he's trying to avoid, but everything keeps driving him that direction, you know, and stuff. But again, that's the whole prescient stuff in the books that again, that they can, they can approach a little bit more, but uh, can't adapt in the movie as much. Yeah, I, I, that does seem the way that he describes that is so supremely interesting, but it's so hard to visualize. But Mm -hmm. I, I do, I sort of liked the way that they did it. I like, okay. I don't like the way they, they did that. I don't like the way that they did it, but I like the fact that he continued with the sort of water rippling imagery, right? You know, in the book, he describes it as like time is a wave and sometimes the things that you can see are at the crest of the wave, and the, but there's valleys that you can't see. Um, and the first time that they did that, they had like this cool transition where it like started out as a wave, but then it like merged into the image of the vision, mm-hmm. and that was really cool. But then they never did that again. <laughs> for for the, all the rest of the visions, it was just like water dripping, and then another image transposed right on top of it. But, yeah, they definitely. I mean, they didn't focus on that aspect very much yeah. you know i mean he became uh well he became space jesus right <laughs> by drinking the water instead yeah. of instead of um you know all the stuff they get into in the book and all the ways they use that you know uh, it it like i say it, it's pretty interesting how that all works out mm-hmm. yeah i mean they had like you say they had to adapt a movie um and they decided to make it a fantasy sci-fi movie 
right? They didn't, they didn't want to make it a, any kind of a, um, you know, a lot of times when we're talking about sci-fi movies and that sort of thing, we're actually talking about a way to have political or social commentary. I mean, obviously Star Trek, the original series was this, right? Political and social commentary in a sci-fi universe. So you can actually broach these controversial topics, but still be, you know, entertaining, right? And, and, and get it across to people in an entertaining way. It's another way of getting a message out. Um, and of course the original series, uh, Star Trek, the original series had, um, that quite a bit, all kinds of things went down in that show that you couldn't do in any other show, but because it's a sci-fi show, you could kind of horn that in. This movie didn't try to do any of that. This movie tried to be a, um, I mean, it tried to be a star Wars, right? It just tried to be a, uh, a sci-fi fantasy epic and mm-hmm. that's all they were going for. So they picked out those sections of it, which like I said, worked for me as a kid, because all I can remember is the cool voice shooting thing, you know, and that sort of thing. And how always oh, cool. He's got these powers that he can make a, a dude blow up at the end and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I, I the, the thing with the uh, the weirdness of the Harkonnen, you know, pulling out the heart plug or whatever. I mean, yeah, that, those are the kind of things. Those visuals were the kind of things that uh, sent me uh, wondering what I was watching as a kid. So. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um there was another thing that sort of oh oh hang on I gotta close this there's there's like doing a side by side comparison of the new Dune don't movie. be looking at it's that it's automatically playing I can't stop it <laughs> turn it off close um there we go I um the way that they did the voice in this and I don't know if this is similar to how they do it in the new movie but the way that I read it or the way that I envisioned it after reading it and maybe this is wrong and this isn't the way it's described and I glossed over something but I sort of pictured it as a much more like subtle thing like it's not something that anybody would notice whereas this it seems like anybody who's around who isn't the target of the voice would be like oh Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) something's messed up here you got to think that the Bene Gesserit when they're when they've been using it over the years it's definitely much more subtle right otherwise everybody go oh 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 you know it's like (laughs) when you're playing uh D and D or something, and they and they talk about you can't secretly cast a spell because everybody knows you're doing something, right? And and everything like that. It's that kind of thing. It's like, well, then how could how could this really work? I mean, everybody would know it's a thing. Now, granted, um, and they don't really talk about it much, but when they've got Jessica locked up in the ship and they're dumping her out in the desert, you know, they've got her gagged and everything, and they they kind of point it out. But you know, the fact that they are so scared of that power means that enough people know about it. And I don't think they did this in the movie. You know, in the book, they talk about one of the guys flying her out there is actually a deaf mute or something like that, uh, just so that he can't be um, Mm -hmm. uh, controlled by the voice and that sort of thing. But, yeah, again, that's a a medium change, right? We have got to indicate that something's happening there. And I will say that, you know, spoiler alert, happens right at the beginning of the movie but yes they do do a similar thing just to let you know that something's happening right there now i don't think the new movie is as it's not like a you know in this case it's almost like a megaphone going off you know but in the new movie it's it's still more subtle but but they have to give it a reverb or some kind sure. of a thing just to let you know that something's happening mm-hmm. right that we're doing something there um so yeah that that is a thing as well i mean i will say like I said, this the 84 movie, I'm glad you watched it first because it's definitely a um, – it leads into – we've talked about all these old sci-fi movies that I've watched tend to lean into something. They give you they, the visual design or some something. You know, we talked about how the Lord of the Rings animation kind of influenced some of Peter Jackson's visuals in the movies, right? And you see that with this here where, where David Lynch, even though he is who he is – get did provide some visual elements that translate up and continue on because they work so well. And I got to say, and I mentioned this to you off the air, there's a documentary out there called, uh, I think, and it's tough to say Jordorowski's Dune. And it's actually pretty interesting um, documentary because there was going to be a Dune movie before this done by Jordorowski, which I don't necessarily know, but everybody speaks with him with a little bit of reverence. Like he's some kind of um, movie maker artist kind of thing. And he was going to make a Dune movie. And I think that some of the visuals were actually from his designs or from his plans. And then David Lynch took that and, and ran with that too, if I recall. Um, but again, that, that's, a, that's an interesting documentary. I can't remember where I watched it. I think I watched it on um, Prime or something like that. 
Um, but that's kind of an interesting, and again, another movie-making documentary that's, that seems pretty slick. So I found it. Yeah, this is a weird name. Jordawowski? Jordawowski. Jord- 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 yeah, sure. <laughs> American <laughs> French. That is not a French name. <laughs> I hate to say it. Well, it sounds, to me, I mean, I always think of ski, anything with ski at the end of being Polish, but that's, that's me. <laughs> Well, that's just because that's my childhood. Yes, terrible terrible racist. I guess so. Okay, I'm going to look to see what this what else because yeah, they said in in the um, that he's a a very well known cult cinema director, but yeah, I've never heard of him before. That's the thing. I didn't. Other than this, I've never heard him mentioned either. You know, and stuff. But it is like I say. I remember watching the documentary and and finding it pretty interesting after knowing '84 Dune. Right. After watching the David Lynch one and seeing some of the influences that it had and where it could have gone, where he could have gone with it, because I think he was planning a, an epic. He was planning like a four hour movie or something like that, oh. which, like we say, maybe is a better solution here. And what do we get with the recent one if we're thinking two parts is one movie? Right. That's true. Um, but, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. So that'd be something worth checking out, I think. I mean, you know, like I say. This is one of those things. The movie, the books have been out. They've been a staple for sci-fi for so long, and they're definitely still in the zeitgeist because, like I said, there are, and maybe it's just because um, Herbert's son is, is uh, riding on the coattails, but by the same token, there's definitely a whole industry of Dune books. So. Right. Sorry. I, <laughs> I, I just visited this guy's Wikipedia. Well, I visited and then I looked away because I was like, I'm not going to bother this. But this guy has some, some weird. <laughs> okay, listen to this. So his whole name is Alejandro and it's pronounced Hodorovsky. I believe you. Prulonsky. Prulonsky. And he's Chilean French. Um, <laughs> and his parents are Jewish Ukrainian immigrants. So he's a, Jew, a Jewish Ukrainian who was born in Chile, who is himself also French. Well, there you go. I mean, obviously, that's where it, he's, got, he's got a little bit there when it comes to, uh, <laughs> you speak of a melting pot. He's got it all. Yeah, really. Oh, man. Um, but no, as a, as a side quest, I'd, reckon, I'd recommend watching that documentary. I thought it was pretty interesting. That's so. cool. I, I will, um, and maybe maybe actually, actually, no, I'm not going to, I'm going to rephrase the question. Um I'm actually not going to... I was going to ask you a question about the new Dune, but I was like, I don't want to know. So No, you don't want to know. I, um, it, it, it was weird. Maybe it's not weird, I guess, considering how much other stuff got cut. But I assumed Duncan Idaho was going to have any role in this. <laughs> you know, he was there, again, for like 30 seconds, where Leto is like, how was your visit with the Fremen? And mm-hmm. he was like, it was good. <laughs> he was like, they've got a lot. And then we didn't see him again until... Well, until the big fight, right? Because yeah. he dies defending everyone. Yeah, which I guess is sort of similar to what happened in the books. Yes. But I guess it, I guess in the books, most of his scenes come from when he accuses Jessica of being a traitor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's drunk. a lot there. And they definitely didn't harp on that at all. No. Right? That, yeah. that wasn't a thing at all. Um, and of course the books go nuts with that when Gurney finally shows back up in the books, you know, in the yes. movies, he just kind of shows up and he's there now, now Patrick Stewart's there. Yeah. But, um, in the, in, in this movie at least, but in the, uh, in the books, yeah, there's a ton of that to the point where he's ready to go after Jessica when they, when he finally comes back because he still thinks she's the traitor. Right. Mm. Uh, same thing within the books. Thufir thinks that she's the traitor and that sort of thing, because yeah. nobody can believe that. Uh, you know, that doctor's, um, the Imperial condition. Yeah. His conditioning can be overwritten. Well, I mean, seems to me like that's a pretty obvious way to do it. Any doctor who has any connection, maybe this is the Jedi thing. This is why the Jedi don't have any, any, uh, connections because they, they could be overwritten. (laughs) That is true. That was, um, um, that was, that was, that was pretty weird. The whole scene with, um, like Piter DeVries and like Baron Harkonnen, Harkonnen, sorry, talking about how UA's the, the, the traitor. That whole thing was very weird. Yeah, and they were, I, and again, we're talking political intrigue, right? So the whole thing there is how much is the Baron sharing with everyone? Because it does come down to, I mean, if, and again, like I said, the actual way that they overwrite the imperial conditioning seems obvious to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if, if the Baron has a way of overwriting it, then they don't want anybody to know. 
right? And again, when it comes down to it, the point of it was that he thought that in the books, at least having Thufir believe that Jessica was a traitor throws one against them, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, now he's, you know, it's another thing he holds over Thufir. So I can see where he's trying to be secretive and that sort of thing. In the books, it's a whole lot different because he is being secretive and won't tell anybody who his, his mole is and that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, in the, in the movies, it's, it's kind of awkward the way they play it all out. Everything to me with the Baron feels a little awkward. Well, I will say in the book, he felt much more like an actual, maybe mastermind isn't quite the right word, but in the book, he felt cunning. In this, he just felt like a bumbling idiot with, well, with just, just with a vendetta, right? It yeah. didn't seem like he was actually very intelligent, even from the outset. Like the first person you see is, is the emperor, right? Right. You don't even see the Baron first. So it feels like... In this, you know, they made a conscious decision to be like, we're going to, you know, ostensibly have the Baron be the villain, but right. we really need to make sure it's the Emperor because... Right, we and have we to really got to make sure he's the bumbling villain. You know, he's the lackey or whatever, I think. And in the movies, it sure comes off that way. Yeah. Um, he also, the Baron, it's... In my head, <laughs> I had viewed him, and maybe this is, this is... I don't know. But in my head, he... Imagine for me a cross between, um, oh, what's his name, a uh, kingpin from from across the Spider Verse and the bad guy, or maybe not the bad guy, but the um, it, what is he, the foreman from Monsters Inc., where he's like the big crab yeah. guy who's got that. I pictured like a mix between those two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's definitely, and I don't even have him. Uh, uh, I thought I had a note about him but I, I um originally i think yeah i didn't i didn't make a note of it but i think oh there we go yeah uh, no okay never mind i'm thinking of some, a different actor but um the baron is kind of a uh, i mean he's a no name as far as i'm concerned i didn't even put him in my notes when we talk about when we start talking about the cast and stuff but you know, the, the, he just kind of, uh, and, and, you know, the whole thing with the, the suspensers, cause he's so fat yeah. and he just kind of floats around, you know, and stuff. I mean, obviously they are focusing on him being the two dimensional bad guy, right? No matter what. I mean, like I say, he enjoys, uh, pulling the heart plugs out of young boys just to <laughs> have the blood drain on them and stuff. It's like, yeah. okay, what's the point of it? You know? <laughs> and his, his uh, uh, nephew or whatever has the mouse that he squishes and drinks. Yeah, in a juice box. Yeah. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. So, I mean, they're definitely, um, yeah, they, they definitely took that aspect of the, the Baron who in the books and in the, uh, in other media, I will say, uh, I wonder what that is, <laughs> comes off as a more conniving and more smart person. That's good. You know, and stuff. He's played by Stellan Skarsgård in the new one, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, he is. Yeah, he's cool. Um, but even the fact, you know, in the books they talk about it, how he uh, learns to control through fear, and everybody's like, well, that isn't possible. You can't do that and stuff. And, and, and the way he figures it out right off the bat, he's got it down, you know, and stuff. So it's definitely, he's definitely a smarter villain in those cases. And, and again, that is partially the reason that this story is stood up because everybody is so big on this political intrigue. Everybody has to be smart. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you're in charge of anything here, you are a smart person who can navigate this stuff. Otherwise you're just hoping that you're attached to a smart person. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was pretty interesting in the books for sure. This again is an adaptation issue. Mm -hmm. I think just to, to bring it down. So, but yeah, let's. So I mean, we we talked about the cast. We always bring up the cast. This one had quite a cast, the of people we know. I mean, right off the bat, we we've got two people from Krull, and we've talked about that in the past. We do. Yeah. So Lady Jessica is the lady in the web of Krull. Oh, that's right. And I, we talked about it back in Krull. I forgot about that whole scene. <laughs> Freddie Jones, who's Thufir, is the uh, Obi Wan archetype from Krull. Oh. You know, and that sort of thing. So there's our two crawl references. We're going back to a, a very early My Father Before Me episode there. So uh, one that you don't know, because I didn't made you watch this one back, but back in the day there was a um, Popeye movie with, um, oh boy, now I forgot. That, that was names escaped me. Mork, um, Patch Adams, uh, the comedian. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, okay. I we'll no come. idea. <laughs> 
Robin Williams. Robin oh. Williams is Popeye, which is great. He does a great Popeye. But the uh, you know who Popeye's main villain is. I don't know if you've read the Popeye shows at all. His main villain is a guy named Bluto, who's a big fat sailor man. Well, he, that is uh, the Beast Raban. That's him. Oh, he's in that movie. Um, yeah, he looks like a Bluto. <laughs> he definitely does. Now, originally, and this was the note that I had. He was going to be cast as the Baron, uh, but they found this other guy oh, to be the Baron. Okay. So. Uh, I suppose because he was a little too young. but I, That is one thing. Uh, obviously, like we said, there's just not the kind of thing that you can cover in a two-hour movie. But that was a really cool... Um, some some cool political maneuvering where he was like, yeah, we'll put Raban there, make everybody hate it, so that then we can put in Fade and everybody will love him. Right. He's he's Again, it's, it's, it's that political maneuvering of making your, your favorite cousin the savior. Yeah. Right? And that sort of thing. And, um, you know, there's even some talk that the uh, fade is the product of some Bene Gesserit um, uh, selective breeding, too, you know, and stuff. Yeah. In fact, I think, well, and maybe this is a, a leap into a future book, but I'll just mention this. In the, in the Frank Herbert stories, the plan, you know, the, the, in the movie um, and in the book, uh, the uh, Bene Gesserit mother or whatever comes in and tells Jessica, you're supposed to have a girl. Mm-hmm. The plan was that... They were going to have a girl to marry Fade, and then that was going to be the Kwisatz. Their their child could have been the Kwisatz Haderach or whatever, right? Right. And I'm probably saying that wrong. Uh, so I so <laughs> that was again, it was all part of that selective breeding and stuff to build that up. Yeah. So. What did Brady just text us from from the the Quiznos catalog? <laughs> the Quiznos, yes. <laughs> from so, Futurama. I haven't um, watched the Futurama one, but there was another one I saw that I didn't share yet because it has clips from the recent movie, but it's got. Uh, Elmo in the place of Paul during the hand scene. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it's in the place of the current one. So I didn't want to send it on yet oh, until okay. you watch the movie. Yeah, that's But, uh, yeah, oh. Elmo no like. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty fun. Oh. But, uh, yeah, no, I will say the, the Bene Gesserit thing, I don't think they said that in the books, but they did say that in this movie, um, that that was the plan to right. for that those to be. But that being said, actually, no. Never mind, because if the plan was for her to have a kid or a daughter instead of a son, they'd be the same age. I was going to say. <laughs> they'd be pretty close. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I was thinking that too in my head. It's not like Aaliyah, the two, the the, the, the magical two-year-old yeah. is supposed to be <laughs> yeah. Fade's wife. But, yeah, I was going to say, wait, that's, there's a bit of an age gap there. <laughs> I, know, I will say, and, and I'll talk about this because it was in the movie. I don't even think they approached it much in the first book. But a uh, little girl comes in and she calls um, the Baron grandfather. Mm, yeah. You know, and stuff. So Jessica is actually the daughter of the Baron. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, again, that whole selective breeding thing. It's kind of interesting. And now I think in the books, they don't actually, she don't, I can't remember how it's broached. They, they, she don't actually know her parentage or she's not supposed to know or something, but. I think she doesn't know because yeah. then through one of Paul's, one of the big, one of his big prescient visions. I can't remember if this is when he takes the water of life or if it was the one right before that. But Well, and she did the water of life first, right? So yeah. she could become the, um, the uh, Reverend mother of the, the uh, Fremen and stuff. But, mm-hmm. And again, that is the best part. And, and they, they approach it slightly through voiceovers. Oh, he knows how to wear the still suit, you know, and that sort of thing, because the Bene Gesserit have been coming to Arrakis for years, building up this savior, which mm-hmm. I thought was pretty interesting too. Right. It's, it's building that up. So they're setting the scene for a savior to show up and, and you know, and that's, it's pretty slick. Uh, yeah. I you know, just like the way, again, plans within plans over generations. Right. Yeah. Well, in the way that they do that in the book is really cool when, when it's, when you hear it through Jessica's inner monologue, because mm-hmm. then she's like, Oh, how am I going to take this? What is it? The missionary of protective or whatever. Right. How am I going to take this and alter it so that they don't kill me and Paul right now? <laughs> right. Yeah. How, how can I use what they've told her, uh, yeah. told her or what they've, you know, sunk into their brains as prophecy, you know, and stuff. But. Yeah. I, I will say there, I wish they had spent, um, or they had had a little bit more dialogue for, for, for Leet 
kinds in this for Max von Sydow. Oh, yes, Max von Sydow, who we recently saw in Star Wars. Yes, he was, uh, what was that guy's name? I don't know. He said at the beginning of Force Awakens, yeah, he, he gets dies. blown away pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, um, but I wish, because I, I really like that character in the book, and I like the way that they sort of, um, they he well, they he did his inner monologue uh, talking about Paul, and, right. and then the, um, especially the thing... Uh, spoiler alert for the book where he dies when, right. when he's at the spice mask that that right. little inner monologue of in him figuring things out was really cool to me yeah um, yeah it definitely is pretty slick and oh he's a three-eyed raven too that's what it was, that, I was like, okay i didn't have i didn't have in? that down but i did i did want to say when we watch flash gordon he's in that too so. oh perfect <laughs> Um, so yeah, so we, we talk about cast again with Brad, Brad Dourif, who dies. He is Peter DeVries. Of course, he is uh, oh. Worm, Worm Tongue from uh, Lord of the Wings. Oh. Lord of the Wings. Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Lord of the Chicken Wings. That's right. He's also um, in an episode of Psych. Of course he <laughs> That's is. That's what I recognized him from. <laughs> of course he is. Oh, man, now I'm going to have to rewatch that episode because I'm sure there's a Dune joke in there somewhere. Well, and the only way to rewatch the episode is to watch the whole series, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's fine. It's a good show. <laughs> there's then, no issues there. Of course, we've got uh, a few years before I got to know him, Patrick Stewart. Because this came out in '84, and in '87 he's in Next Generation. He's oh, Captain Picard. So I didn't know this few was years. That. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he is Gurney Halleck, which uh, the original actor for Gurney was set to show up and go, but then he got arrested in Mexico for assault. So, oh no! So, so they grabbed Patrick Stewart. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will. Oh yeah. So. For our long a long time listeners, he is not Patrick Stewart is not the main bad guy. He's Gurney Hal. <laughs> That's right. He's not the main. Shade bad was guy. wrong. <laughs> um, speaking of of of, I guess not anything. But how old was <laughs> how old was Kyle MacLachlan in this? Because he looked really young. Yeah, and see, that's the thing. In the books, he's, what, supposed to be 15 or yeah. whatever? So, I mean, they definitely aged him up. But, again, you're talking the same – they did the same thing in Game of Thrones, sure. right? Because if you want to do adult topics with a, a child, you got to bring him up a little bit. Yeah, kind of hard when Arya's 13 years old. <laughs> yeah, nowadays, we've got to adjust that slightly. But um, I don't know how old he was. He was definitely – I mean, obviously, uh, David Lynch loves him because he's in Twin Peaks. Right. Uh, you know, the series, the movie, the, the reboot and everything. Um. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how old he he would have been there, but uh, when did this movie come out? Eighty four. Eighty four is when it's released. Oh, he's twenty five, so fairly young. There you go, fairly young. Yeah. Oh man, he's only a few years older than me, and he was in Dune. What am I doing? <laughs> yeah, step it up, would you? <laughs> come on. He should so be in sad. a multinational film right now. Oh wow! The first line of his little biography blurb on imdb is the boy next door if that boy spent a lot of time alone in the basement <laughs> i wonder who wrote that one. <laughs> oh, that's so funny uh let's see of course we've got uh fade sting from fade. the police Rotha. yeah does he do a lot of acting <laughs> No, he does not do a lot of acting. Why is he? Why was he fade? That's such a weird pick. I think it comes in. You know, it's it's those rockers that want to be actors, right? It always happens. You get a you get them in there, and they want to cross thing. I mean, you get actors who want. I mean, you get the bacon, the fabulous Bacon Brothers, or whatever. And actually, his <laughs> band is pretty good. His music's pretty good, so I'm not gonna fault on that one. But Bruce Willis also did the same thing. He had his little blues band and. You know, of course, he sounded good because they're actors and they know how to perform, right? I think it's the the other way around. You get the uh, musicians that want to be actors. I know that uh, there was a uh, movie called uh, Free Jack where um, Rolling Stones... Mick Jagger? Mick Jagger was, was a big bad guy in it or something like that. Or he was a main actor in it, right? So all these rockers want to try to do something. Um, it's, so, it's interesting. I was looking and, you know, the obviously Sting was in The Police and Roxanne you know, came out in 78. So, I mean, we're quite a few years past oh, so his he's rock famous. and prime. Yeah, he, he's a famous dude at this point. So He would have been recognized in the film. It may have been a little bit of stunt casting there just to bring him in and bring in Sting, you know, or something. <laughs> um, now, 
<laughs> of the rock stars turned actors that we've talked about in Are My Father Before Me, who do you think did a better job in their role? Sting as Fade Rotha or David Bowie <laughs> in Labyrinth? Well, obviously David Bowie. He had so many more <laughs> lines and he, you know, he even pretended to play with magic crystal balls. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Fade didn't do anything really. He was there right at the end, and that was it. So that's right. I forgot our David Bowie uh, rocker turned actor, but yeah, um, he Sting didn't have a lot to do, right? And in the books, of course, Fate is a major character who has a lot more political things going on, uh, even doing an attempt on the Baron's life, you know, and, and that sort of thing. That's which, true. I forgot you know, about that. Um, so there's a ton more there, but in the movie, he's just the uh, you know the pretty boy who's out to try to kill. Um, Paul at the end, right? right? That's all he is. And he, again, the Harkonnens are definitely two dimensional. Um, you know, they're, they're the sword, you know, they're, they're the, they're the weapon that the uh, emperor is using. Right. And that's all they are in the movie, really, you know, mm-hmm. from that standpoint. So a couple other people to mention Dean Stockwell, you probably don't know him a whole lot. He is Dr. Yui. He was um, the, on quantum leap. Uh, the TV show way back in the day went for many seasons. He was uh, everybody I know my age would know him from that, right? He's a pretty big, big guy from there. I imagine I'm willing to bet he did a, an episode of psych as well. <laughs> he seems like that kind of actor, <laughs> you know, turned into a TV actor on quantum leap, but uh, original cast for Dr. Yui was John Hurt, who we know from aliens. Oh. And, you know, we've talked about John Hurt just last week, right? With the, uh, or with the Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah. Was uh, he Eric animated? Um, no, he was Legolas, right? Oh, I now know. I can't. Now you're going to make me I'll remember. figure it out. Yeah. And then finally, the last person I note is Sean Young. Sean Young is Chani. Um, she was also in Blade Runner. So obviously she had a little bit of a, a sci-fi thing going on there. Um, but <laughs> the best story I know about Sean Young. He's Aragorn. He was Aragorn. Okay. The best thing I know about Sean Young is there's a story that when um, they were doing the Batman uh, Returns, the, the Michael Keaton Batman with Catwoman, who turned out to be, I uh, can't remember her name. Uh, but um, <laughs> I don't she, remember either. Uh, she showed up on the studio set with, uh, in a Catwoman suit trying to get the job oh, as Catwoman. Really? Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer, there you go. That would have been weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think there are actually some stories about her becoming a little unstable around that time. Oh. You might be surprised to hear. <laughs> okay, well, from what? Just because she's crazy or was it like drugs? Was she? she that I don't a, know. Oh, okay. I just have heard story. I, okay. I, I just remember them talking. Yeah, she showed up at, and about that time is when she was really trying hard. Maybe she was just over trying. We don't know. You she know? just hadn't gotten it. Dune one, was the last, <laughs> the last film she'd done. Dune and Blade Runner were some big hits for her and then she disappeared. So I still... I, I still haven't seen Blade Runner. I've been trying to watch that one for the past, like, three years. It's been on my list for that long, and every time I look at it, I'm like, I can't watch it now because I'm going to want to pay attention. <laughs> it's definitely one we should try sometime. Now, that's not necessarily a... I mean, it, it, it came out in the era of these movies, but it wasn't something that I was hip to as a, a child. It was something that I watched later on, mm-hmm. too, you know, and stuff. But it's definitely one worth talking about if we're, if we're branching out into old sci-fi from the era, even though it wasn't one that... I'd necessarily watched as a child. But. Mm-hmm. Well, do you have any final thoughts on Dune? Again, it's an adapt- it's an adaptation. Which, Certainly, um, <laughs> it is an interesting adaptation because at the time, like I said, when I watched it as a child, I just thought of it as another Star Wars, this fantasy space opera. And then, of course, you read the books, and it's a whole lot of different thing. I watched the movie before I ever read the books. Um, so I had a different perspective. I mean, what's your perspective? Because you read the books first. Right. You think that helped the movie or hurt it? Uh, it definitely helped the movie. <laughs> it definitely, because this, I, I was thinking this while I was watching it. I was like, this is definitely a movie that if I didn't know that I really liked the story, I would have turned off a long time ago. Not because it's necessarily bad, but... Well, I know exactly when I would have turned it off. When um, Gurney Halleck and Paul are training with the shields. <laughs> as soon as the shields popped up, if I didn't already know that I liked it, I would have turned it off because the that sh- was just crazy. The shield stops the fast blade. And that's, a, that's the fun part about when Duncan dies. 
is they actually shoot him yeah. with a bullet that's made to go through shields. Yeah, that was really weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, the, it's like, why even bother with shields if you know that they're running around with bullets that are going to avoid it, right? Well, yeah, and I, I was thinking that the whole time, too. I was like, why are they using projectiles? Because the point of the shield was that you can't use projectiles because you'll blow up the whole square area or whatever. Well, you can't use laser guns. La- oh, okay. Lasers and shields react like atomics is, is the way they put it in the book. So that's why you don't use shields. And plus the worms don't like the shields. Right. They, they're attracted to them. Um, but, uh, and that's something we didn't talk about. You know, of course, the oh, imagery yeah. of this, the main thing that everybody, even, you know, my wife, when I mentioned Dune 84, she's like, oh yeah, that's the one with the big word, right? <laughs> because that's the imagery that you got out of this movie as the marketing plan, as everything that you want to see about this movie is that big giant worm, right? Because it's just an amazing epic thing. And of course it's, you know, you read the books, how steeped into everything it is. Um, but yeah, that, that whole aspect of the movie is, is, is quite a big thing imagery wise too, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff. And it's kind of fun. I was watching a, a little thing on YouTube, uh, in preparation and the show, you know, the, of course they're just hand puppets, you know, miniatures that they're zooming in on and stuff. Sure. But, uh, it's, it's always fun when you watch that stuff. <laughs> Those hand puppets look nothing like what you see in the movie, but it's interesting. <laughs> well, okay. So speaking of the worms, I guess, yeah, I completely forgot about the worms until now, which, <laughs> which is stupid. Cause that's the whole point of the movie. It definitely is. Um, but they were, there was like three different occasions in the movie where, Either it was explicitly asked, or it was like in a uh, you know a inner monologue from Paul, yeah. where he's like, "Is there a connection between the spice and the worms?" And clearly, as somebody who's read the book, I know there is the connection. But in right. the movie, did they ever resolve that? No, no, they <laughs> never bring that up at all. That's like one of the. I don't know whether, I don't know why you bring that up if you're taking that part out. Yeah, right. You know, and that sort of thing. I mean, I don't know if they're supposed to be. That's how. Paul does such a great job of writing one because if there's a connection between the worms and spice and he's triggered by the spice, maybe that's why it were. I don't know if that's where they're going with that insinuation or something, but yeah, it's, it's like, why harp on this so much when you're not going to play anything out with it? Yeah. Yeah. That was weird. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't know. But yeah, so as far as the movie goes, I will say it was, it was, yeah, it was all right. <laughs> I maintain okay. my opinion. It's not trash. No, it's, I'm going to say could be better um, because I think if you want to see or you have seen the new ones um, or you've read the book or something, I think it's definitely worth the watch just to see different takes on it. But yeah, I don't think it's one that unless you already know that you kind of like what's going on, I don't think it's worth it. You know? No. It, yeah, I don't think that it's one, you know, like I said, Star Wars, those kind of movies, obviously even non, non-nerds non know them because they watched them. They're sure. entertaining movies and stuff. This isn't necessarily, even though I feel that their goal for this adaptation was to make that kind of movie they didn't hit it right and there's people that again it's a cult it's a cult classic because and i don't know how much of that is people who like the the dune story obviously they're not making the new movies because the books were amazing mm-hmm. or, or popular or something because they were old books now i guess maybe they are because lord of the rings took off and stuff but i feel like there was enough of a here was a movie from 84 that actually did something. So let's try making a modern version of it. Right. And then they, you know, obviously they go into the books and start doing that. So I don't know whether they're crediting the uh, recent movie with the, the 84 movie or whether they're crediting it more to the books. It's definitely more faithful to the books. Obviously it's two, it's two parts, (laughs) right? So there's the, you can do more with two parts like we've discussed. Um, I'm not going to say, I mean, we'll discuss that a little bit more once you see it. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a thing from the eighties. It's definitely a thing because David Lynch did it. Um, and he is a product of that time. (laughs) As soon as you start talking about twin peaks and those kind of things, you, you know who you're talking about. You know, you talk about Eraserhead or those movies, which I haven't seen. I just know, know about them. Eraserhead was weird. Yeah. I I mean, knowing what I know about David Lynch. Yeah. That's why I haven't got around to watching it because I don't think it's going to be my kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's definitely an, an interesting, uh, it's, it's worth a watch if you want to see what sci-fi was doing at the time or what they were attempting. If you've spent the time to read the book, there's worse ways to spend two hours. Sure. Right. Um, if, uh, you're looking for something to watch on a Saturday, never read the books, maybe you've watched the recent one and you're kind of curious. 
again, it's not, it's worth a little viewing just mm-hmm. to see what the way things were. But cause like you say, if you, if you're looking at it from the standpoint of this is a cool movie from the eighties, then no, because the, you're not going to get that out of this. What you're getting yeah. out of it is a comparison to the books or a comparison to the recent movies, mm-hmm. you know, and that kind of thing. I think that makes it more interesting to watch this in that, um, mindset. Right. I would say if you're going to watch the movie, um, you should consume some other form of Dune first <laughs> and then come back to this afterwards. I don't think this should be anybody's first experience to the world because I think it's just going to... I think if I had watched this and then read the book, it would have... I, w- I definitely wouldn't have blown through the book so fast. Right. Because I would have had the image of like, oh... This story is kind of stupid, frankly. It ends weird. I wouldn't have. I I would have had that reference, so I wouldn't have been able to keep pushing through some of the weird points to get to the end where it's like, oh, this is a much better ending. Right. <laughs> it definitely pays off a whole lot different. And again, because it's doing the political side of things. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's all I've got for this week. Anything else? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think we've uh, planned our next one, so I guess it'll be a surprise for everybody. Oh, lovely. Yeah, we don't we don't have the uh, any book that I'm trying to get through this time. So uh, either way, we will catch you guys next week. 